Why do we exist? Were we created with a purpose? Or are we just here by chance? What are we to believe about life, faith, and worldview? Welcome to The Universe Next Door, focusing on answers to the questions we all consider. The Universe Next Door is supported by the C.S. Lewis Society, Trinity College of Florida, and supported by gifts from listeners just like you. Discover more resources and continue the conversation at apologetics.org. And now, your host, the research professor of Bible and theology at Trinity College of Florida, author and speaker, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome to The Universe Next Door, and thank you for listening. Before we get started, uh, we would like to encourage you to check out the website here at the C.S. Lewis Society, and that is apologetics.org, the hub for apologetics. Uh, Dr. Woodward, how are you doing today? I'm hanging in there. I'm having a great day, enjoying life here in Tampa Bay. And of course, uh, we're having a ministry across the U.S. and many, many other countries across the world, and that's a, an exciting possibility for um, reaching out to new new countries we've never touched before through our new DNA signature in the cell ministry and uh, some amazing things that are happening through our youth ministry called 7x7 Seven Seven Conversations. We're going to be ta- uh, taking time in the next uh, program next week to tell a lot more about that. I'm crazy excited about that and we'll be sharing what uh, we're initiating in the way of new teaching and new apologetics ministry for youth, geared toward youth uh, in a way that has never been even tried before. Wow, and yeah, we touched on that a little bit last week too. So that's amazing. Well, it's be awesome. Yeah. So today, uh, with your uh, go ahead uh, here, I'm going to try to do something we've never done before, and that is take a look back at the atheist philosopher Nietzsche a little bit, and take a look also at the uh, forward view of 2084 through the help of our Christian fellow philosopher friend. He's a great apologist. He's a great professor of mathematics at Oxford University, John Lennox. And uh, he has not been just sitting around during this COVID crisis. He's been crazy busy writing this fascinating new book, and it's uh, about to be published. And so this is brand new. I just heard about this in the last couple of days. I don't know if, if you've caught drift of this, but uh, there's a big uh, excitement uh, wave that's building across the U.S. and beyond. So, uh, Nick? I think you and I need to order uh, some copies of that and start sharing it around and diving in. What do you think? Yeah, I'm sure that's going to be an awesome book. It, it seems like he writes a book or two a year. Oh, it's, it's like amazing. there's always something new coming out. Yeah, I mean, Lennox is like the C.S. Lewis of our day, at least one of the top five candidates for that slot. Oh, and he's John, brilliant. Oh, he's an amazing guy. And he's, of course, tackled the one-on-one debates, more than one. I think uh, he's up to three or four now with Richard Dawkins. And... Uh, and the God's Undertaker has science buried God. He's written a response to the new atheism. He's written, um, you know, I think about eight or nine books just on various apologetics topics. But this is unique. And his newest book, which is, uh, like I say, just due out in the next few days, it takes a new uh, approach to what science is trying to say about mankind. So my topic today is new man, question mark, question mark, and then followed by new man, exclamation mark. So the new man idea coming from modern science and really dating back into the Darwinian view and the Marxist view that kind of dawned onto humanity through the ideas of Karl Marx and Engels, uh, his uh, fellow traveler in developing the philosophy of Marxism in the 1800s. And, you know, we can just bring out Trotsky and Lenin and 
and Stalin and many others who, who kind of further developed that in the 1900s. But the view of both Darwin and Marx is that mankind is a material creature uh, subject to either social and political and economic forces, Marxism, or just material and biological entities and forces, there's Darwinism, and either way, he is moldable, he is shapeable, and he is at least somewhat perfectible, and he is in the process of being perfected step by step, stage by stage, and the best is yet to come. And so you can say, well, doesn't this sound a little bit like Christianity? I mean, isn't that kind of a vague resemblance? Because we say, in our own view, that man was once perfect, is now fallen, but the best is yet to come. So in, in the sense the best is yet to come, there's a vague resemblance, just a very you know, general, you know, something better can be looked forward to. But the, the difference, of course, is this gradual development by chance or by socioeconomic forces of, of society through Marxism. But what's really interesting in John Lennox's critique is that he trying, he's trying to show what the transhumanism movement is trying to pull off right under our nose. Now, let me just uh, play a game here. Transhumanism. What other word or concept comes to mind, Nick Shalna, when I say the word transhumanism? Transformation. Okay. Transformation. And okay, so yeah, there you go. You're, you're on a roll. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll come up with transportation. No, that doesn't count. So, okay, so trans, of course, means uh, across, and then uh, humanism deals with humanity crossing from where we are now to something, in this case, better, something glorious, something perfected, something beautiful, something awe-inspiring. And, and now, so the transhumanism movement really has its roots in these uh, materialist philosophies that, that leave God out, that kind of say, God, you're kicked out, you know, you're removed from the picture. You never existed in the first place. Uh, Nietzsche had the idea, uh, and I remember when I studied Nietzsche under the number one expert of Nietzsche in the entire planet Earth at that time, uh, Walter Kaufmann, um, raised in Germany, had to flee the Nazi persecution. His family was Jewish. And so in 1936, he found himself... Uh, uh, first of all, um, snuck out of Germany and then on a boat heading toward the U.S. and he settled into the U.S. and graduated with the highest honors from Harvard and was hired quickly by Princeton and became the most famous philosopher at Princeton, teaching in the area of Nietzsche and existentialism. Well, Kaufmann was my professor in the fall of 69, teaching me about Nietzsche and existentialism, and I was a brand new baby Christian. I had just accepted Christ after uh, leaving my hardcore Darwin views, and I never had heard the gospel, and I've been told that as a sinner I needed a savior, and then he would step by step and you know change me, and then ultimately make me perfect like Christ at the point of either his return or when I came to uh, the end of my life and was taken to heaven. So, but what Nietzsche was offering was something entirely different. The Ubermensch or Superman, sometimes also translated overman. Uber means over, mensch means man. So the Ubermensch is the idea of man in perfected state. And sometimes the Antichrist, 
and and actually Nietzsche wrote um, a piece of literature called Antichrist. In fact, Walter Kaufman used that term as part of the title of his book on Nietzsche. Uh, it's called Nietzsche, Philosopher, Psychologist, and Antichrist. Well, that's a strange term wow. to give. Yeah, wow, is right. It's a powerful, like awe, awe in, an, in a scary sense, almost awe-inspiring. Like, I don't know if I really want to go down that alley. But um, but Nietzsche, the most uh, virulent, hostile to Christianity, perhaps philosopher, in, in terms of the open, like you know, spitting you know acid right down there in front of it. Um, so be because of his writings uh, about the Ubermensch, he raised this idea of this perfected man, who would be the uh, he would be like the antithesis of Christ. Christ would be the false perfection, and the Ubermensch would be the true perfection of humanity, bold, audacious, inventor of new values. He would transvalue all values. <laughs> what does that mean? You mean goodness yeah. doesn't doesn't remain goodness? I mean, doesn't that sound almost crazy? Yeah, I mean, let alone the issues with, with determining value. Oh, yeah. I mean, what is your basis? Is there any rationality? Is there any reasoning involved? Or is it just this guy just asserts them? He just declares them the new law and just by force makes them stick? I mean, what, what, what does he live them out? Does he model them? I mean, what is this crazy? It's just it's on the edge of insanity, truly. And some people have said, you know, for all of his brilliance and his poetic appeal to young people, I mean, truly, Nietzsche is the is the ultimate like borderlines. And of course, in 1889, he did have a break and be a psychotic break and became totally insane and never spoke a word for the last 11 years of his life. Uh, and so, but back to the main point: transhumanism takes this earlier view from the atheists, not just the philosophers like Nietzsche, or later existentialist philosophers like Sartre or, or um, you know, other, you know, developers, Heidegger, um, other later developers of, of existentialism, but the more serious scientifically minded thinkers, uh, such as um, Engels and Marx, such as Darwin and um, uh, Galton, the early eugenicists inspired by, by Darwin to perfect humanity through breeding. And thus, of course, began the great eugenics movement. When I say great, not in a good sense, but most uh, damaging, one of the most horrific movements of modern times, of course, spawning in its ultimate uh, catastrophically bad form, the Nazi movement of the 30s and 40s. So I'm looking now here at what John Lennox has done, and he has done a favor for all of us. He has looked back a little bit, kind of very quickly, at all these earlier views of perfecting of mankind, this new man. It's almost like, step aside, Christianity, you've been talking about the new man, but science really has it all figured out. And so what he has done is he has really, in his book, uh, and the title, if you want the title, it's 2084, and that's <laughs> kind of keying off of Orwell's book, 1984, when, yeah. when the kind of the scary, scientifically you know, perfected humanity, which actually is not a perfection at all. It's like an inversion of, of goodness. But anyway, so 2084 is the name of the book, subtitled Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Humanity. Let me say that one more time. John Lennox, L-E-N-N-O-X, 
2084, Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Humanity, due out uh, July this, this month. And, of course, uh, he's an uh, emeritus professor of mathematics at the University of Oxford in England. But his, um, his book uh, is a masterpiece. I've, re I've been receiving uh, excerpts. I've been reading these excerpts. They're fantastic. And so just let me just read uh, what, what one of these um, excerpts has uh, presented. And, and if anybody would like to, to hop on to Evolution News, uh, .org. Evolutionnews.org is our uh, favorite go-to website for keeping up on any news on intelligent design and its uh, adversaries. But uh, this July 7th article on transhumanism is just uh, a must-watch, a must-read must article. And it says that um, transhumanism project is summed up uh, in, in a very helpful way by a guy named uh, O'Connell. And here's the quote. It is their belief that we can and should eradicate aging as the cause of death, that we can and should use technology to augment our bodies and our minds, that we can and should merge, notice the word, merge with machines, remaking ourselves finally in the image of our own higher ideals. So do you notice, um, you know, my, my dear friend Nick, what is the key agent in making this transformation? The machine world. Yeah. It is, their, it is their belief that we can and should eradicate aging as a cause of death, that we can and should use technology. You, yeah, you, it's, it's, it's essentially a utopia or heaven on earth. Yes, uh, brought in. Which still people today are still really putting their faith in and carrying out. It's, it's not faith in God, it's faith in science and technology. So, in, in, in a sense, it's like um, when, when I spoke at um, the Bangor Why Jesus conference, I actually had 6,800 um, people in front of me, not because I'm famous or anything. Ravi Zacharias and Lee Strobel were the polls for that event. But as I spoke in the afternoon and uh, was assigned the, the topic, why science, you know, or rather why Jesus, why not science? Couldn't science just step in and take Jesus' function? They were asking mm -hmm. me to address this same question. This is the exact question that I addressed in that video that's on our webpage at apologetics.org. In other words, if, if we can solve the problem of death, by just uploading our consciousness to a mainframe computer, then I don't die, and I can just have fun playing video games for all eternity. <laughs> but, yeah, and being accountable to nobody. Exactly. <laughs> but I better make sure that my uh, my account is paid in full ahead of time all the way through eternity. Whoops. Yeah, well, who's going to pay for my computer time? Wow. Yeah. So, but John Gray, a writer, I just had to look him up today, but uh, he's a very uh, top writer, frequently quoted in this area of the future of man and machine merging and, and what's called transhumanism. And by the way, there are a lot of very interesting um, TED Talks out there. There's talks all over the Internet and on YouTube and Vimeo. Excellent, very helpful, very, very just fact-based um, explanation breakdowns on this transhumanism movement 
John Gray reminds us that the attempt to use science and technology to upgrade humanity is far from new. He even brings in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Get this. Oh, wow. Yeah, Frankenstein, <laughs> published 1918. An attempt to create an artificial human being risked making a monster. Well, of course, the monster got the better of it, and that's the rest of the story. But the Nazis, of course, imagined that they could create an Aryan superhuman by what they called scientific breeding. And, of course, that imagined uh, goal was a, a complete mythical mist and didn't exist. And so Hitler essentially took over the idea, the survival of the fittest, and he applied it. And, by the way, he was a fan of Nietzsche. He was a fan of this idea of the Ubermensch, the Overman, the Superman, who would assert by strength a whole new morality, new kind of morality. Now, here's where it gets interesting. You remember something called, or maybe you've read in the history books at least, about the Soviet Union? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which it's, it's strange enough to, to think about the philosophies and how crazy they are, but it's a whole other story to see people carrying these out. Yes, and, and attempting to, and those that are you know mobs that are attacking buildings in downtown you know areas of the cities of the U.S. and are pulling down these statues and and just attacking all kinds of public buildings. Those students who are mouthing Marxist and Soviet type slogans. It's so funny because if they knew this the the history of the Soviet Union and what a catastrophic attack that Soviet Union. Um, creation and the sustaining of that state and the way they grabbed uh you know basically and made puppet states they made into slave states the surrounding countries made them subservient basically empirically controlled these states and and forced them into communist marxist ideology and atheist indoctrination against the will of those states wow you, you know i mean that's just appalling that people don't know their history yeah and, and i think that is the key is is being educated in history uh and seeing that i mean these these philosophies marxism was tried in the 20th century and it caused more deaths than the previous 19 combined oh absolutely, so it's, it's, absolutely. this has already been there was already a trial and error it was a, it was error it was a catastrophic failure and the only problem is that the word catastrophic is not strong enough to capture how bad it was and so the former Soviet Union, which dissolved when I was just began teaching at Trinity College in 1988 through you know, about 1990, the deed was done. And so that was something because I had just, when I was a student at Dallas Seminary in the late 70s, I studied this new man, the idea of the new man that the communism was devoted to producing, who would be altruistic, who would care for others. And, of course, the Cubans said, well, we will do it right. The Soviets, they just didn't even try. They were all money-grubbing and bureaucratic. We will do it right. We will get it right. Here in Latin America, we will perfect the new man. Balderdash, they never got it right. They didn't even come close. You know, um, you know the whole Castro and his um, fellow travelers, they just bungled every attempt. And it was a, it was a total, complete failure. There's only one hope for humanity, and that is the new man who is imparted by the Holy Spirit, by the power of Scripture, by the conquest of the rebellious soul, who is then reunited to God through Christ, through the infusion, through the, literally the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, 
that happens when a person turns. It's just a pivot. It can happen in a second. And anybody who's listening to this broadcast who doesn't know for sure that they're going to heaven when they die, because we know we will all be judged as sinners if we don't um, sit under the blood of Christ, if, we, if the, the death of Christ has not been applied to our account, the finished work of Christ that he did on the cross, and we know that he arose because there's abundant eyewitness testimony in the in the New Testament. I mean, the New Testament is like a, it reads like a history book. It reads like a catalog of eyewitnesses that are turned into a judge at a trial. And so what we see here is an explosion now in our day of new scientific and philosophical and historical evidence that buttresses the case for this this what what C.S. Lewis called mere Christianity, the basic awesome, powerful truth of Christ, the promised one, the God-man who entered, entered the, the world, the, the Christ who entered our own situation and picked up this incredible um, mass of sin and put it on his own shoulders and then took the, the smack of, of judgment right upon himself. And because he rose from the dead, that proved, that demonstrated to the whole universe of man and, and angelic beings that the deed was done, that the, that the penalty was paid. And then, when the Holy Spirit comes and lives, and as we turn and receive that as a free gift, just, just by prayer, we can say, thank you that you died in my place. Thank you that you arose from the dead, and, and, and you are alive, and I receive you. I open the door of my being to you, and I invite you to be my king, my leader, my CEO, my coach, my director. Lord, just remake me, and thank you for the forgiveness that you wash away all my sins, and that those sins that are past, present, future have been paid for. And then the new man program kicks in, because we've we've been forgiven judicially, like the judge has dismissed the case, and now we're embraced by God, uh, he puts us in a bullet train that crosses the chasm that separates hell from heaven, and we're in God's heavenly, spiritually speaking, we're in God's heavenly home, and he embraces us. And when we mess up, he then has to discipline us, maybe pull us into the room and have a talking to, you know, maybe restricts our privileges for that week, but um, but we don't have to go back to the courtroom. Isn't that great news? Yes, it is wonderful I think, news. I think that's, yeah. And so what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm really just amazed at is what, uh, our dear friend John Lennox has managed to do in this new book, 2084, and the subtitle again, let me just give it one more time, the subtitle of the book uh, by John Lennox is, What Does It Mean to Be Human? Okay, and this book is such a powerful addition to all the other books that John Lennox has provided to us. Now, I want to just mention that uh, John Lennox is probably one of the most prolific debaters and lecturers in the world today. And if I can just do a plug, he is also listed, thanks to a dear friend I have gotten to know by the name of Nick Shalna. Uh, I know him very well. Um, and oh, oh, wait a minute. I'm talking to him. Oh, sounds and interesting. So, uh, so Nick, you did a, a masterful job in finding, in locating and then transferring to our website the connection page for the best of the best of, of John Lennox. And so right there on our homepage at apologetics.org are literally, I think, um, something like a dozen, maybe more than a dozen, of the best of the interviews and um, 
some debates, some some actual presentations by John Lennox. So I want to just incite a John Lennox uh, torrent of interest, a kind of a, um, a mi minor tsunami of, of those who stay tuned to this program. So, uh, next week we're going to share a little bit more on the new man, but we're going to talk about what the Bible says and can then compare it to what some of the top apologists are saying that, that chimes in that shows that what we've learned from the world of evidence backs up exactly what the Bible says about being human. You've been today. listening to The Universe Next Door with Dr. Tom Woodward, sponsored by the C.S. Lewis Society and Trinity College of Florida and supported through the gifts of listeners just like you. To gather resources, continue the conversation, and support The Universe Next Door with your financial gifts, go to apologetics.org. That's apologetics.org. And join us again next time as we continue to seek the truth about life, faith, and worldview in the universe next door. Thank you.